two nights alone Two nights alone at the table Hey, welcome to Alone at the Table, a podcast about movies and the weird theories that surround them. Uh, today we're going to be talking about The Dark Knight, and the question is, is The Dark Knight really about terrorism and the war on terrorism? Uh, I'm Luke, and with me as always... And I'm Nick. And so let's uh, let's just get into it. Let's just start talking a little bit about the. Uh, well, first of all, let's talk about the year two thousand eight. The movie came out. This it's almost it's actually over now. Ten years old. This movie. Yeah, I think it just had its ten year anniversary in July. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that this is a, a great movie for us to start out with here on the podcast because I think that this will probably be one of the easiest ones for you and I to buy into yeah. and for the audience to buy into. I think this yeah. one is pretty pretty cut and dry, but there's a lot of meat in there. Yeah, I agree. I think there's a lot about the film. Uh, first of all, it's just a great film. Mm-hmm. It's easily one of my top five films. Um, and it, it does a really good job of uh, exploring um, a bunch of really cool ideas about Batman and about you know, society. Sure. So. And I think that as we kind of get into it, I think just as, as I was thinking about the movie the last few days in, in preparing for this, mm-hmm. I think it's becoming more evident to me why this movie, even though it's only been a decade, only been a decade, right. it's, I think we're seeing why this movie's standing the test of time mm-hmm. because of how much more is in here than meets the eye. I think it's much more than a Batman movie, and I think we're going to see that here as we as we go through. I think you're absolutely right. I was actually thinking about, like, man, I almost wish we were talking about how it related to today, mm-hmm. because there's so many parallels to today as well, but I had to, like, keep forcing <laughs> myself to think specifically about, like, well, what was going on in 2008? Well, and I think the reason you're thinking that is because I think a lot of these things that were happening in 2008, starting in 2001 are still happening now. They're mm-hmm. recurring now. Some of the themes we're going to talk about, about using fear as a weapon and, yeah. and things like that are yeah. are constant recurring things in our, our modern society. Here. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so do you want to take us through some of the movies? Because you were saying you had looked yeah. up some of the movies and you had some notable mentions. Yeah, I think I wanted to start out talking. I think this is when we're really starting to see a lot of these movies about the Iraq War, the mm-hmm. war in Afghanistan. Yeah. Uh, obviously a big one, Best Picture winner, The Hurt Locker. Yep. Uh, and this was a big one for me, a movie that I really enjoyed, a movie that's it's very visceral, like it really puts you in there. Uh, and it's, it's high tension. And I think that what uh, Catherine Bigelow did really well in that movie, which she does later in Zero Dark Thirty, which came out a couple years later, mm-hmm. is really show... I think both sides to that conflict, right? Because obviously there's merit for the people that are there, but they fighting the war for us, but there's also a lot of negatives and a lot of terrible things that were happening to us over there that we were doing to the people over there. And I think there's a really big conflict. And this is kind of when we started to see the dramatization of a lot of those events. I absolutely agree. Um, And there's a lot of, it's also sort of like 2008 is also that marking point where like the superhero movie hits in like a major, major way. 100%. Um, you know, we, we started to see it building this way. And so the, we start seeing those two things coming together mm-hmm. in an interesting way. Um, obviously, you know, the Dark Knight itself, but uh, we start seeing things like, you know, Iron Man comes yeah. out the same year. Beginning of the MCU. Yeah, beginning of the MCU. And uh, Iron Man literally starts in a war zone. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, everything about that film has to do with the idea of a guy selling weapons 
mm-hmm. and uh, and what the outcome of the weapons to those rebels might be, and how they right. got a hold of them. So. And I think that that just speaks to to this idea that everybody kind of gives Christopher Nolan credit for putting a superhero in the real world. And yeah. I think the version of that that we know today, I think that that's true. But obviously you can look back to uh, X, the first X-Men movie. That's exactly what that movie yep. was trying to do, right? And yep. so I think that even Iron Man, which the MCU more and more, they're getting into more fantastical territory. Right. But I think they wanted to start that character off from a place of reality and putting him in a position that, again, feels relevant to our time, right? He's a weapons manufacturer yep. profiting on conflict. You know what I mean? And that's and that's a really great place to start that character out at that just feels very current. Well, and when you talk about like putting something in the nexus of reality, I mean, so much of the Gotham of the Dark Knight is basically Chicago. Right. Like it is like you can drive down and see like where the Joker's uh, car fights are happening like mm-hmm. you can go down whacker and see it and and uh, and get a sense of it so that's a very different thing for a superhero film like you like with the early batmans like they used parts of london mm-hmm. um but it wasn't in such a recognizable way like i mean i've driven down that street in chicago and mm-hmm. and it's crazy to, right. to have been there and i think that that's as we're going through here i think we can kind of draw some of the differences between this version of batman and say tim burton's version of batman right. is there's never a point in the dark night where i think i don't believe this could actually happen and obviously there's things that batman does that aren't realistic right but but when you go back to like the tim burton batman films as fun as those movies are they live in a fantasy world Absolutely. right you're never like oh this feels really real oh yeah no it's a total gothic fantasy the entire right. time and it only gets weirder and worse as the films go on right which has its place but i think that the reason this movie has stood the test of time is because it feels so viscerally a part of our reality absolutely i mean uh, you could take and remove Batman as the idea and have it just be like a tough cop right. against some total crazy, and it still works sure. almost every step of the way. Yeah, from the Joker's perspective, everything the Joker does in this movie is scary because we're all afraid that it's actually going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So- uh, some other notable movies uh, that came out that year that I saw, like uh, Cloverfield came out that year, another yep. invasion sort of movie. Mm-hmm. For a country that very rarely gets invaded, we're horrified that we're oh, going to get invaded. Absolutely. We, yeah, we're terrified by it. <laughs> Only made more so after right. 2001. So. Ex- exactly, exactly. So let's go ahead and get into talking about this premise. Sure. Uh, so you introduced it at the top. We're talking about... Is the Dark Knight really about terrorism and the war on terror? Your initial thoughts, what do you think? Okay, so coming into this, before I watched it again and did my researching, I would have said, I don't know, like 25%. Mm-hmm. Like a, to 100% scale. Um, if And, uh, I, you know, I, I, that's where I would have come in. Um, after watching it again, definitely I feel like a, a, little, a little bit different on that, more... We're on high end there. Sure. And it's funny, for me, this is actually something I've talked with other people about. For mm-hmm. me, this is 100% the case. Yeah. I think that as we go through, you're going to see me bend some arguments that I think are maybe stretching it a little bit mm-hmm. to like really force the point home. But I think... I don't know that you'll have to, because <laughs> I, I found some arguments that I think are pretty solid as well. Uh-huh. So. Yeah, I think that it's just... I think there's too much here... 
whether it was intentional or not, mm-hmm. uh, I think there's too much here to say that the undertone of this movie is not domestic, our fear of domestic terror. Oh, I would argue that much of it is intentional. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to kind of start off by talking because I think there's an interesting difference between this movie and the other two uh, Christopher Nolan movies in the Batman trilogy. So mm-hmm. the other two deal with similar issues of of domestic terrorism and things like that. Yeah. But I think the thing that sets them apart is in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight Rises, you're dealing with the League of Shadows, right? Mm-hmm. You're dealing with an organization that has an ideology yeah. that is kind of hard for the the everyman to buy into, right? Right. For the most part, Bane is only attracting criminals, right? Criminals only flock to him because he set them, he got them out of prison. Right. But you're not seeing a lot of regular people like, Bane's our guy, right? That's mm-hmm. not what you're seeing. And, and in the first one, Ra's al Ghul is, has this, this crazy league of assassins and he's got, you know... He's not commanding the everyman, but I think what you're seeing with the Joker in this film is that the Joker is violent for violence sake. There's no ideology that's apparent. There's no real reasoning behind what he's doing, at least for the people in Gotham. And that's what makes him, I think, far more scary because you never know what he's going to do. You're always worried about what the next thing he's going to do is. And I think that separates the first and the third film from the middle one. I absolutely agree that the Joker is definitely like a a detached sort of creature Mm -hmm. out in the world. Um, As far as him not having an ideology, I disagree. I think he has a very clear set of ideological goals um, that he is advancing at every point. Um, And saying he doesn't have an ideology is buying into what the Joker wants you to believe about him. (laughs) That's fair. But I think that, f- f- I guess from the point that I was trying to bring it, because yeah. uh, obviously he he believes certain things about humanity, and he's trying Absolutely. to prove those things that he believes about yeah. humanity. I think that that's easy for us to say, having watched a movie where an artist is trying to paint you a picture of a character. Yeah. I think watching him torture a newscaster on TV, mm-hmm. it's a little bit harder to see that ideology from the public's perspective oh, yeah, in yeah. the film. In Gotham. Yeah, if you right. were a dude in Gotham, you would just be like, that dude's crazy and I'm getting out. Yes, as yeah. a highfalutin film scholar, yes. I feel I feel very <laughs> comfortable uh, about about his ideology. Yeah. Uh, but let's talk about a little bit of, of the arc of the Joker because okay. I think it's interesting mm-hmm. that he starts the movie with a bank robbery. I have a lot of thoughts on that bank robbery too. Because we're painted... I think the smart thing he does is we're painted a a familiar version of the Joker, right? Mm-hmm. Like the reveal is like, oh, what's what's he doing with this character? Like, this is crazy. Yeah. But ultimately, we see him as a bank robber. We see him as a, as a criminal. Well, one of his aliases in um, some old Batman comic books is literally Robin Banks. Mm-hmm. Like, so he, he does that all the time. And it's been mentioned like a hundred times on the internet. The mask he's wearing is a very close analog to the first appearance of the Joker in Batman 66 as well. So right. like, there are definitely some visual cues and like some comic book nods there. And that happens throughout the film. Sure. And I think that the, the reason that's interesting is because the Joker that we see throughout the rest of the movie is not the bank robbing Joker. No. Like bank robbing is beneath the Joker that we see the rest of the movie. So I yep. think it's very smart. And one thing that I wanted to bring up, and this is one of the the more reaching theories I have about the movie. Okay. I see the whole thing as being 
if we assume that Batman is representative of the United States government, okay, uh, the Joker escalates as Batman escalates. Okay, as as Batman escalation puts, that was tied in absolutely at the end of the first film. Absolutely. So the more rules that Batman breaks to defeat crime, the more dangerous people that he puts away the joker becomes more dangerous to the point where the only way that the joker can challenge the authority of in this case the united states government Mm -hmm. is to escalate up to a point where we're talking about terrorism and i think that if we're talking about whether we want to equate it to the growth or the birth of isis in the middle east or all of these things where the United States paints an image of itself for the rest of the world that that warrants and calls out escalation. It, it begs to be escalated back against. And I think that maybe it's stretching it to put it in those two examples. I, but I actually don't think so. And here's, here's I'm just looking at my notes here, and it says, uh, so what I was thinking about in the beginning of the film, right? Mm-hmm. Batman and the cops are focusing primarily on the mob's money. Right. And if you look at those as two different states, mm-hmm. like, you know, as you said, Batman or in the cops operating as the United States and uh, the mob operating as other nations that are a problem in some way. And they are separate nations, right? Like within Gotham itself, um, going after the money is a form of sanctions. And as you ratchet down on sanctions, you start to see in our history arise in the idea of state-sponsored terrorism. Now you're funneling your money into a separate group, and where do uh, the mobsters go? Uh, Initially, they're approached by the Joker, and they turn him away, but eventually they decide that they should go with this terrorist Mm -hmm. um, in order to reset their status quo, which is never really... I mean, the Joker claims that was one of his goals initially, but I don't know that that was ever really true. No, I don't don't think so either. I think that... The one thing that I think the Joker does know from the onset is he knows how to push people to the breaking point. Mm-hmm. They only agree to to go to him when they're absolutely desperate and they have no other choice. Right. And I think that the great thing about what you're saying is that the Joker ultimately shows us how how hollow the value that we put in things are, right? Mm-hmm. The mob only cares about their money. They only care about being wealthy and and the joker shows them how completely meaningless that is when when anarchy reigns when fear has set into everybody right right and that violence is can ultimately be king and i think that that is so fundamental to our zeitgeist as a culture right Mm -hmm. now that we feel wealthy we feel on top of the world and yet we're so easily brought down by acts of violence and it completely destroys us well and i think it's telling that the character who basically is consistently escaping or available in all three of nolan's batman films is the scarecrow Mm -hmm. whose entire goal is weaponized fear like even more so than batman Mm -hmm. um and i think that's a very telling thing that he's the first villain that um we see batman run up against Mm -hmm. um in the like the first sort of name villain i mean for most people, Ra's al Ghul is not a name villain, but mm-hmm. um, and then also in the beginning of the Dark Knight, like when they're shining the bat signal, you know, he's all he's busy. Right. What he's busy with is dealing with fear, and he's dealing with the Chechen, mm-hmm. which is another character who I think we talked about deliberate things done within uh, Nolan's Batman films to call out history and things like that. And I started looking at the Chechen because I was he's the one guy who sort of sides with the Joker. 
Mm-hmm. And he agrees with the Joker's sort of militancy. He's the first one to say, call the clown. Um, he's the first one who throws down with Batman um, in the film. And what I started looking at was after 9-11, like in 2002, there's the Moscow hostage crisis. And that had to do with Chechenian rebels. Mm-hmm. And when you look at the design of the character of the Chechen, he looks an awful lot. I'm going to show you a picture here because this is hopefully my phone will. Okay, so I've got these two pictures I wanted to show you. Because, all right, so this is a picture of Richie Costa as a Chechen mm-hmm. right there. Sure. And then this is Shamil. I'm going to say this wrong. Basiev. Hmm. And he is a Chechen uh, militancy leader. Mm-hmm. And he was also part of... He also wrote a book called uh, The Book of the Mujahideen. And he was a leader, uh, an Islamist leader in the Chechen movement. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was really telling that you have a character that looks visually so similar to this guy Mm -hmm. and is dressed in kind of a way that gives off that like Eastern European thug look. Right. And, uh, uh, best was also a member of the Chechen mafia. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was a really interesting, Mm -hmm. like, here's this character that like, if you dig deeper, you'll find it. Otherwise it's just this random dude with dogs. (laughs) Right. But like when you start looking around, he's, I mean, there's some, real basis and the fact that he's called a Chechen it never really comes up but that's how he's listed right and I think that's one of those great things and I think the good thing that filmmakers are doing with these superhero movies now is they're putting in stuff like this for you and me mm-hmm. where they're never going to call this guy by name in the movie or whatnot. Yeah. but it's really fun Easter eggs for us that I think do add a little bit extra layer of depth regardless of how much we have to to bend it to, to make it fit <laughs> right. that depth for us but right. I think that they're, that's there yeah absolutely um Okay, so we talked a little bit about the opening of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about Harvey Dent. Okay. Because Harvey... Get right to the meat and potatoes. Well, I mean, because Harvey is... I mean, he, as central as Batman and the Joker are, Harvey is definitely the the son in which they revolve. Sure. Um, they refer to him as the White Knight. Mm-hmm. And I feel like he's maybe even a better analog for the U.S. than anyone else. Sure. Um and his Caesar speech, where where Bruce decides whether or not he's going to like Harvey as a person, sure. I think it's so important to everything else that happens in that film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree. And it, it's just a great line, right? Yeah. Oh, you yeah. either die a villain or live, or you either die a hero yeah. or live long enough to see yourself become a villain. It's a great right, line. Exactly. It's a great line. The whole, and then like the counterpoint that the last person was Caesar and that, you know, that touch on Rome. And mm-hmm. I mean, a million historians have drawn the parallel between the American mm-hmm. Empire and the Roman Empire. Right. I mean, it's it's nothing, uh, nothing new there. Um, I think the great thing to talk about with Harvey Dent, and I think this is another one of my my maybe I'm reaching uh, mm-hmm. theories here, but just in drawing some comparisons between the War on Terrorism and Harvey Dent, mm-hmm. Harvey Dent is essentially a radicalized American. Mm-hmm. The the Joker, if we want to equate the Joker to some sort of 
terrorist group, what or whatnot. The entire point of the Joker throughout the movie is to radicalize Harvey Dent to his cause, which he accomplishes. Mm -hmm. And then I think Harvey Dent perfectly takes on the role of one of these radicalized, homegrown, domestic terrorists that we are all so paranoid, live next door to us or are on the next train from Syria coming into our country as refugees. We are so paranoid that these people live among us. And I think the Joker does such a good job of giving us a reason why he would become that way. And it's because he makes it personal. You see throughout the entire movie, and the Joker even makes a point, right? He's like, if I said that I was going to kill a bunch of soldiers, no one would care. Because it's mm-hmm. not personal to you. Right. It's, it's across the ocean in some country you've never been to that you don't care about with people the news tells you you should hate. But as soon as you make it personal, that's when we devolve. And that's when we resort to these baser forms of ourselves. And I think Harvey Dent shows the worst version of that at least that we're all afraid of as americans so so here's my other version of harvey Mm -hmm. um harvey is the idea of america Mm -hmm. right he's this white knight with good ideas he's going to do the right thing and the longer he's engaged in battle with the joker the less of a good person he becomes the less of an ideal he becomes Mm -hmm. and by the end he's only half of an ideal and the other half is a horrified scarred monster of that version of that ideal i think that's an excellent theory and i think it draws in perfectly with the administration post 9 11 yeah what did we want we wanted anything to be done about it and so the people in charge did something about it right to assuage the country harvey dent is doing the same thing yep he goes after uh gary oldman he goes after uh commissioner gordon's family Mm mm-hmm they had absolutely nothing to do with it, yeah. but he's doing something about it. Right. And we as Americans, when things like this happen, want something done. Yeah, we want and something done. Exactly. Yeah. I think that's a great analog for especially the administration post 9-11. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I said it, so that makes it even better. <laughs> um, <laughs> so let's talk about uh, Batman's adventure in China. Because mm-hmm. I think that is a, a big piece of the film, too. I mean... There are, two, there are two ends of that, right? One is it definitely helps the Chinese market. 100%. There's I think it's like, all for box yeah, office. Yeah, it's all for box <laughs> office. But it's also a slap to them mm-hmm. in many ways because they're going after a criminal with an extrajudicial activity. I mean, mm-hmm. the Joker straight up warns them, Batman does not have jurisdiction mm-hmm. anywhere. And he can go wherever he likes. Mm-hmm. And he does. And not only does he do that, but they name check a CIA plan mm-hmm. to move people out. Right. Um, and everything Batman does at that point is basically like black-siding someone, <laughs> you know? Sure. Uh, which is definitely within the, the concern. Well, right? and I think that that is just drawing more into the fact that that Batman is this, this version of our government mm-hmm. that... On the surface is is somewhat of a of a vigilante hero, but yeah. ultimately he can do whatever the hell he wants, and right. he's going to do whatever he wants. And I think ultimately we as people sort of have that feeling about our government, right? Like like oh, it does some bad stuff, but ultimately it helps us. But at the end of the day, it's just going to do whatever the hell it wants. If it right. wants, if we want to send a black ops team to China to steal some guy from China without the Chinese knowing who did it. What's to stop us from doing that? Who right. cares? Right. And it was all done under the cover of business deals, too. Right. Which I thought was interesting. Uh, it's also the first appearance of the sonar mm-hmm. stuff, which is a big yes, deal. Yes, big later conversation. In the film. Yeah, for big sure. conversation. Um, let's see, a couple other things I was looking at here. Um, obviously, I mean, 
Alfred's story about hiring the bandit just ties into everything else mm-hmm. that we've already been talking about. Right. The idea of the Joker as a force who doesn't doesn't uh, doesn't have any interest in the uh, things everyone else is interested in. Right. And I mean, he freely admits that all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's interesting that he tells so many sad stories mm-hmm. about his scars mm-hmm. as like a justification for his actions. Mm-hmm. Because when we were talking earlier about uh, the idea of him having no ideology or an ideology, I think it's pretty clear his ideology is nihilism. Mm-hmm. Like he, I mean, he is very much a nihilist. Right. Like that nothing, none of the structures in society matter and they're all, as he puts it, a bad joke. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that's a bigger conversation that I think we'll get in, into more just is, is how that is either proven to be true or proven to be false. Mm-hmm. But I think the thing that, that that also accomplishes his his kind of reframing his backstory and retelling his backstory all the time is I think it paints again the picture that we are afraid because these terrorists could be anyone. That's what we think, yep. right? Yep. The guy, The white guy that lives next door could be a homegrown terrorist. Mm-hmm. You know, that Islamic guy that you saw at the store one time could be a homegrown terrorist. Right. We're afraid because we think it could be anybody. So by him changing his backstory, he's essentially becoming several people to where you never really know who he is. Well, and he hides in the crowd during the uh, the police scene. Right. Where he shoots at them. And he rents a place under the name Melvin White. Mm-hmm. I mean, if there is a more boring, <laughs> like send up of like a, a white person name like melvin white i can't i mean i can't think of one right um just the idea that like could be just any random nobody mm-hmm. um and i will amend my previous day statement from the beginning that i don't i never felt in the movie like anything was unbelievable mm-hmm. when batman pulls fingerprints off of the shattered bullet from the wall yeah that was definitely <laughs> unbelievable i'll amend my previous statement fair fair yes. but i mean no no worse than anything we see on csi any given week so that's true yeah that doesn't make me feel better no it doesn't it, no and it's i mean but uh you know film wise well let's talk about about some of the the Joker's escalations. Because right. I think that this... There's a ton of theories about the Joker anyway, and I think his escalation sort of stuff piles in there too. Yes, so. because obviously building off of what I think is arguably probably the best scene in the movie is the interrogation room scene, right? right? Where right. you've got two ideologies going head to head. Right. The Joker firmly believes, like you said, he's a nihilist. He doesn't he doesn't care about anything. He believes that all society is is fake, that mm-hmm. nothing matters, the structures of society don't matter, and he's constantly playing throughout the entire movie to try and tear Batman down, but obviously uh Gotham as a whole. Right. He talks about the war for Gotham's soul. Right. Yeah. And so as we go through, I think you see him escalating to try and achieve those ends, right? He kills the commissioner. Mm-hmm. He kills the judge. Uh, he's he's taking out high-profile targets that make us feel less safe. Quick comic book note. Those are both things he did in his first appearance as well. Wow. Yeah. All right. Cool. Good to know he's been a dick for that long. Yes, he is. Yeah. <laughs> the early version of the Joker was definitely a, a grade A dick. Right. Yeah. But as he keeps going, obviously, then he he blows up the hospital and and he's doing all these things that, that well, he blows up two buildings too. That's true. Um, and I think that is a very big callback to the whole idea of terrorism too. He blows up two buildings in a failed interrogation. Mm-hmm. I feel like that is like a pretty strong condemnation of uh, the intelligence community's inability to get to 
the intelligence they needed to stop the 9-11 attacks. Sure. You know, you can, you can draw that very strongly and to see, like, again, now you have this shattered government because of this. Right. Chasing you know, their tails because they don't know tail. what to do. Yeah, exactly. they didn't know what to do. Um, and then it only gets worse. And they're, you know, this this ideal has been burned and scarred now. And mm-hmm. what are we going to do with that? And, right. And we've lost something uh, very valuable. Right. And I think ultimately the most interesting thing that comes from all this is to some degree throughout the film, the Joker is successful in his ideology. Oh, absolutely. As he continues to make threats, we see normal civilians taking action, right? Yep. Especially when he he wants Coleman Reese killed. Oh, yeah. Uh, you see the guy in the truck tries to hit the car and Bruce Wayne blocks him. Mm-hmm. The guy with the gun in the, the lobby of that building tries mm-hmm. to shoot him. The cop, and, yeah. Right. We see normal people going to these incredible, incredibly dark places. Mm-hmm. Out of fear. And I think that ultimately, if I had to use one word to sum up the theme of this movie, it's fear. Yeah. And I think it's, it's like you said, weaponizing fear, using it to make people the worst versions of themselves. Right. And luckily, the movie ends on a note, or at least kind of ends on a note, uh, where, where they choose not to kill each other. And I have a lot proven, to get to about that. Right, so. and we'll get to that later. Yeah. So luckily, the film ends on a positive note in that regard. Mm-hmm. But I think that it does show echoes of our society now where when the chips are down, people who are scared will do anything mm-hmm. to not feel afraid anymore. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we were talking a little bit about the Joker's um, I, so I gotta just ask you: Do you buy into the the uh, the soldier theory about the Joker, the PTSD soldier theory? I don't know. I I, in- I didn't at first myself, and that's why I'm curious where you you were on it. My initial reaction is no. Okay. I don't think that there's enough there for me, mm-hmm. and and there's nothing there for all this other stuff we're talking about. I feel like the movie is just like throwing it in our face. Yeah. When you stop and think about it, the movie's just like. Here's all this stuff. It's right in front of you. With that theory, I don't think there's I don't think there's enough to support it for me. Well, so here here's what the the main thing almost everyone pulls from is when he talks about the soldiers getting blown up, right? As being like, well, obviously he was a soldier and he got blown up. Well, I don't necessarily know that that's true, but I definitely think he like I, I looked up some of the symptoms of PTSD and he had he seems to exhibit a few of them, mm-hmm. uh, like a belief that nothing is valuable in the world anymore that can um, show up as if like an value of self or other things but he's certainly gone down the like well the rules don't matter the 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 world is is bad no Mm -hmm. matter what kind of a thing and he seems to desperately want to die Mm -hmm. like he's good enough at what he does not to but like he's begging basically begging batman to kill him uh during the truck scene and um uh when he gets thrown off the building later Mm -hmm. he's very happy about it right um so uh, the other thing is just the idea if he was a soldier or not. I mean, he certainly has enough. There's enough sort of planning, despite his constantly saying he doesn't, mm-hmm. that uh, leads me to believe he definitely has some sort of military training. Mm-hmm. Um, the rocket thing is a huge nod again to the uh, I'm gonna mispronounce it Mushadin, mm-hmm. uh, who. Uh, use rockets all the time during the situation with Russia. They mm-hmm. would they would fire rockets, 
and uh, and then the fact that he could get get a helicopter and have someone use it mm-hmm. that quickly. The problem that I have with that theory, I think, is more of from an artistic perspective, and I'll tell you why. I think that when you look at stories in the the Batman mythology that mm-hmm. have kind of given the Joker a backstory, they do it in Tim Burton's Batman movie. Yeah. You look at something like The Killing Joke, mm-hmm. where where they kind of highlight the Joker's origin story. Him being a human takes a lot of the fascination away from me, especially right. in this version of the character, where if, if we kind of see him, I kind of think about it more as like, in the original Halloween, right, John Carpenter saw Michael Myers. He just called him the shape. That's yes, how he was titled. Right, he wasn't yeah. a real person in the right. first movie. He was, he was this entity. And for me in this film, the Joker works best in that regard. No, I agree. And and if he's just in the human form of this, of this fear-mongering ideology, that's more powerful than him having any of the backstories that he says that he has in the right, movie. Right, right, right. Yeah. Okay. And so I think that's the biggest thing standing in the way of me buying into that theory. For sure. Is my own preconceptions of what I want the character to, to mean. Be. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, fair. Um, okay, so... Let me ask you one thing. Sure. I, do, I really want to talk about one thing that... Sure. I don't know that the movie goes out of its way to to kind of get into, but obviously a big thing after 9-11 mm-hmm. was our use of torture Mm. Uh, for those of you listening, I was doing some big air quotes there because yeah. our administration would have different views on the word. Right. Uh, but if we're continuing my analogy that Batman is representative of the worst parts of the United States government, right. there are times in this film where he tortures people to absolutely. get information. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that this he... falls ain't going to kill me. Yeah. I'm counting on it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, nice Batman voice. They all <laughs> would be impressed. Um, yeah, no, uh, he, yeah, his dealing with, uh, um, with the mob, mm-hmm. his, uh, way he deals with the Joker himself, mm-hmm. uh, and the Joker even comments on it. Right. Um, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that's absolutely true. And um, this leads me to a question I'm going to ask you a couple times sure. before we're out of here sure. today. Uh, the Joker... Or I should say Batman ultimately stops the Joker right. by using some unsavory tactics throughout yes. the movie, we'll say. Yeah. So let's start let's start with torture first of all, because he does utilize torture throughout all three movies. Right. But there are a couple scenes of it in this movie. For the first time I'll ask you, do the means justify the ends in this case? That is a uh that's a tough question. Because ultimately, yeah. I think the answers we have to this question, and when I ask you that same question here in mm-hmm. a little bit, yeah. I think will ultimately kind of state our opinions on how the United States in the real world right. has handled some of these situations right. that have come up. If Batman is right to use torture, if Batman is right to later use illegal surveillance to, <laughs> yeah. to meet his ends... Whew. Do those ends justify the means? Yeah, so what's funny about his torturing of... Um, I can't think of his name right now. I want to call him the Roman, but it's not the Roman. It's uh, Insert Italian-American name. Yeah, here. I can't... Uh, I'm <laughs> falling down on my Batman knowledge. I should totally know his name. Anyway, uh, it doesn't it doesn't get him anything. Right. You know, he breaks the guy's leg, 
Uh, and all he does is find out that the Joker doesn't have any friends, <laughs> you know, like, right. you, and no one's going to, and no, no one's going to cross him because they're afraid they'll kill him. Right. But, you know, uh, especially after what ha- happens with Gamble and all that sort of stuff. Right. So, uh, and then yeah. we see later, uh, Harvey Dent doing mm-hmm. the same thing. And then Batman's all high and mighty. And he's like, what are you doing? What do you think you're going to get from him? Right. Well, c- yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, there's no way that that was going to pay off either. That guy is totally bananas. Right. You know. So I think when it comes to torture, we're just we're falling down on the side that the the ends did not justify the no, means. No, and, okay. and just like uh, I mean, there is no scenario in the film where torture provides them any sort of valuable information. The Joker was going to tell them uh, where Rachel and Harvey were anyway. Right. Um. Yeah, and there was no yeah. point during the movie where the Joker didn't want Batman to know where he was. Yeah, exactly. There was yeah, there was no like you could have just called him up. Right. <laughs> you know, like Yeah. So no, I I don't think uh Batman's use of torture is ever worthwhile in the film. Okay. Good. Well, let's talk about the second part of that then. Sure. Because obviously one of the biggest issues since 9-11, the biggest, the biggest issues in the Patriot Act yeah. is, is our use of surveillance or yeah. illegal surveillance or however you want to view it in regards to the law. But ultimately, Batman catches the Joker. Does he need to do that though? I mean, really? Again, like... Did you need the surveillance to find out where the Joker was? Because I feel like it was pretty clear. <laughs> um, well, he was pretty well prepared for it. Um, so you talked about the idea of um, terrorists hiding in plain sight mm-hmm. and uh, or being being hidden and or not being aware of where they actually are. Um, this idea of like a anyone could be a terrorist and i think well first of all comic book note once again uh the joker's plan with the uh hostages and the clowns is straight out of the no man's land series he absolutely does that pushes cops out in that scenario like wearing joker paint and gets them shot um but same sort of analog there you know Mm -hmm. absolutely these are like we're hot like people you think are terrorists may not be terrorists people who uh look a certain way may not in fact be what you believe them to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that is clearly on display in the shooting gallery as, sure. uh, as Gordon refers to it, um, which, uh, but definitely surveillance is justified there. Mm-hmm. Like in it by, by the characters, they all justify the surveillance. Right. Um, in that scenario, how are they going to find the Joker? Well, there was never in my mind, a chance that the Joker wasn't going to tip them off where he was. So, I agree with that point, mm-hmm. but he uses the surveillance technology that he makes for more than just finding the Joker. Well, that's what his stated goal is. That's I true. have to find this man. That is true. Yeah. But once he gets there, obviously there's now a race against the clock because right. Commissioner Gordon is ready to kill all of the people. He's, his team's moving in. Well, and you can make that a strong argument about you know drone strikes and, and attacks that mm-hmm. we made on... Uh, Afghanistan and Iraq we're firing into these places assuming there are terrorists there and right. we're going to kill civilians instead absolutely what was about to happen there exactly so in that situation obviously I think if Batman would have just stopped to think of a different way to do it he could have made well, a he, different thing that lets him see up floors to find out where this guy is well and also I mean that's the other sort of justification the film gives us mm-hmm. which is Batman knows who's who and the reason he knows who's who is because of his surveillance state. Right. So. 
that is an interesting argument right there. Uh, and, Absolutely. I, and I think it ties into what's happening on the ferry because there's an interesting set of arguments happening on the ferry as right. well. And I think just to kind of, I don't know, maybe put a, put a bow on the surveillance thing here. Sure. In asking myself the question, in this case, does the ends justify the means? Mm-hmm. I'm going to say yes. And, and here's the problem that I have with saying yes to this. Okay. Is because it's in the hands of Batman and Lucius Fox, and Batman has no intention of keeping the technology. But here's the problem. Yeah. If in Batman number four that never got made, mm-hmm. Batman comes out of retirement, he brings Anne Hathaway with him, yeah. and he's like, yeah. I'm going to surveil everyone. It's not like he couldn't do it again. Right. The technology yeah. now exists. It was kind of like that that argument that came up a while ago where the FBI wanted into that iPhone, mm-hmm. remember, and Apple's like, no, yeah. once we tell you how to do this, you can do it to any phone. Yep. It's kind of the same thing. Yes, right. Batman lets Lucius destroy it at the end, but mm-hmm. now that the technology exists, right. he can use it whenever he wants. Well, and now right, I'm yeah. a little bit talking myself out of my own point. But <laughs> I, I have a harder time with surveillance than I have with torture. To me, torture is just like cut and dry. Mm-hmm. You're never going to get good intel out of it. Right. It's useless. It's it's morally repugnant. Well, and the film's argument is that surveillance works. Right. I mean, the film's argument is very upfront. Surveillance works. And surveilling with everyone works. But I think the problem with that is that it's a... I it's think it's a, a morally murky and in the best scenario it absolutely is yeah. because they can only justify it by putting it in the hands of the most morally upright person in the movie right yeah if it was in the hands of harvey dent right. obviously it, it wouldn't have hold the same water right so i think that's the problem with the movie's own argument about surveillance right is that surveillance is not always in the hands of the people that are going to use it correctly in the way that the batman does if you want to say that he used it correctly in this movie i guess that's an argument of its own or yeah or in the idea that like handing it off to someone else like here's this other entity who is not batman Mm -hmm. who will manage it right well but i don't like the amount of time you spend with lucius fox tells you most of the time that he's a very quippy black guy and that's about (laughs) it right like he's pretty smart but like there's a huge break-in down in r&d and he didn't seem to know about it. Not only is it a break in, in the sense that like, you know, Batman broke in and set some stuff up. He apparently cleared the entire area right. out and created a long, dark corridor for you to walk down yes. uh, in a very short amount of time. His oversight is definitely in question. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I have a really hard time with it because in, in real life, it doesn't bother me. I don't yeah. know how, how you feel about it personally. Yeah. To me... I know that the government has the ability to do it, and right. I know that I can't stop them from doing it. Right. And unfortunately, I'm going to sound like that asshole, yeah. but I don't feel like I have anything interesting to hide. Yeah. And yeah. yes, I know that that's the government's own argument, so don't right. get on my ass about it. <laughs> but like, I, don't, I have such a hard time like caring about it, because again, it's not personal for me. Right. So my argument whenever anyone talks about, like, well, if you have nothing to hide... Mm-hmm. Why does it matter? Mm-hmm. Um, is that like, do you lock your door at night? Yeah. Okay. But do you know a lot of criminals wandering around the area or anything like that? No. No, right. Exactly. Um, probably have nothing to fear. Mm-hmm. Right? Or maybe you do. I you still, feel like I have You feel to like you have something exactly. to fear. So you lock your door. Right. Right? You're not, it's not like you're hiding a meth lab in here. Right. Um, but, but you lock your door anyway because mm-hmm. of privacy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your own, like, so why can't I have a locked door on my... My digital 
life. And you're not um, wrong. You're not wrong. It's a it's a tough so argument. It is. Yeah. It's. I mean, and, and given the day, you know, any given day, there are some days where I'm like, whatever, fine. Look at my emails. I don't care. Right. Um, if you want to read all the ads that I'm getting, sure. Right. Uh, and the hard part is, I guess, for for most of us outside, we're never gonna know how much we're being surveilled right. and how much it's helping. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. We're never going to know about you're it only unless gonna it's a high it. profile thing. Yeah. But you don't, you're not going to see it on a day to day basis where our freedoms are being completely shit all over. Well, you're going to, I mean, you're only ever going to hear about it if it fails and causes the main problem. Exactly. Yeah. But you're yeah. never going to hear about it if a, an attack or something is prevented. They're not going to publicize that. No. And so you're just going to go on peacefully living your life. Yeah. And that's the question is, if you're well, that's what happens to, for most of Gotham. Right. If they you're ignorant no to something, does it matter? No. And that's like a really deep moral <laughs> argument that I don't know if this is the yeah, right no, setting this for. this is probably not the right but, setting. But uh, it's an interesting question because you're absolutely right. The film says... Surveillance the, is good. Surveillance is yeah. good in the right hands. In the right hands, yeah. yeah. And of course, Batman is the right hands. Of course. We've already talked about how he's done a bunch of other things that don't really work. But So let's talk about the fairy because we've talked about... The surveillance piece of that. And I really want to talk about the fairies because... So, the fairies are named Liberty and Spirit. Right. And I think that is a big old slap. Yeah. (laughs) Spirit is the one that has the criminals and police. Right. And Liberty is the one that has civilians and soldiers. To be fair, we're also talking about the same director that in Interstellar Mm -hmm. names a doctor, Dr. Mann... Uh, who is like the worst version of humanity's instincts. So he's he's not great at subtlety. No, he's not. We'll, we'll um, say that about him. So when it, we've, I mean, if you haven't seen the film, spoiler alert. So why are you like, why, why are you listening to this? Um, but if you haven't seen the film, right. Uh, or they, they're going to blow up and they, they're, they're going to, the, the fairies are going to blow up. One of them has to blow up. The other one of the Joker's going to blow them up at midnight. And I have mm-hmm. some thoughts about midnight too. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we're getting deep we're yeah we're a little bit deep. so uh the liberty mm-hmm. votes about what to do mm-hmm. they take pieces of paper and they vote and they tally their vote whereas the spirit has a strong man who makes a decision for them mm-hmm. a benevolent dictator if you will or mm-hmm. a caesar mm-hmm. and uh and so i just thought those were very interesting things that happened there are two two arguments about what we should do. And the guy who almost turns the key is the guy who looks like the most standard banker in the universe. Right. And I thought those were all very interesting. Welcome to United States politics. <laughs> and yeah. the people with their fingers on the buttons look like your, your, yeah. your bank teller. Yeah. 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 So it was, uh, I thought that was very on the nose and very interesting. And then, uh, it cuts to about five minutes to midnight as they're, they're ticking down. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Armageddon clock. I am constantly thinking about the Armageddon yeah. clock, and by yeah. that I mean no one. Yeah. So the Armageddon <laughs> clock is this thing scientists have, right? Where they're like, "Oh, this is we're this close to Armageddon." Okay. Uh, and uh, they move it however many minutes to midnight. Midnight being Armageddon. Okay. And so the idea that it's about five, five. It could be. It could be maybe anywhere from five to three minutes to midnight in that one shot. I don't really remember that well. Um, is I think like it lingers there just long enough to like this is how long they have mm-hmm. kind of a thing I thought was an interesting uh, visual and also uh, could be a nod to Watchmen which is also a sort of a socially grim view of of Batman style superheroics right so 
Absolutely. I think for me, the most interesting argument or most interesting uh, thing that comes out of that scene is kind of, I think, the the theme of the whole movie, mm-hmm. ultimately, or at least the, the answer that the movie has to the theme of fear, is that ultimately, when the the trigger is in your hands mm-hmm. and you've got to be the one to get blood on your hands right it's not worth the cost that it takes yes they're both going to die if one of them doesn't pull the trigger mm-hmm. but when you have to be the one to pull the trigger it's not worth the cost and i think that shows what we go through all the time here mm-hmm. is is again after 911 we're like send them into iraq send them into afghanistan we don't care they're across mm-hmm. the sea. We don't have to deal with right. it. But when you are the one who has to take a life, when you are the one who has to do these things, then it becomes a completely different ball game, and you can no longer sit on the sidelines and watch it out. Mm-hmm. And I think that gives us a different perspective. So I think that the movie ultimately saying that fear should not be the death of us. It should not overwhelm us and, and make us lose our humanity. And I think that that's a really great thing to come out of, of a movie that is so nihilistic the entire time. See, I, I don't, I, I don't know if I a hundred percent agree with that. Um, partly because the people who act first are the people on the spirit mm-hmm. and they act with essentially a Caesar like activity. A man who, uh, who's clearly been to this type of war before, right? A guy who's definitely murdered some people. Mm-hmm. Like it is clearly like you are set up to believe that he has murdered somebody Mm -hmm. um or or lots of somebody's and he just takes it and throws it away like to accept the fate whatever that fate might be and the people who vote take much longer to come around to this idea and they are much closer to setting off the bomb the the criminals argument is i'm going to do what you should have done already and the guy the random guy like the one guy who's not neither really like a cop nor a criminal he's sort of like the warden or whatever um they you know he takes it from him and throws it away and that guy right. clearly thought he was going to blow it up blow him up blow the other people up right and, and so i i see that as an extension of harvey dent's caesar argument i think that that's fair but i also think it's it's undervaluing the situation a little bit because I don't expect any human being in that same situation mm-hmm. to immediately go, nope, not going to do it, and get oh, rid no, of it. Oh, no, 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 I there's, agree. There's long debate on both sides. Mm-hmm. And I think that that even though visually it might seem like that other boat gets closer to turning the handle, mm-hmm. I don't think they are anywhere in the same universe to, to actually performing that act i think that that guy proves that everybody in the thing that's like voting yes it's again it's just like us right like yes let's go overseas let's start a war Mm -hmm. because it's easy to vote in a in a chamber hall and be like sure i don't care who dies Mm -hmm. doesn't doesn't matter to me i think all of those people are the same people but if you took one of our congressmen and you said all right here's a gun you're you're in iraq now None of those people would have the moral fortitude to stand up and do what they need to do over there. And that's what this shows. So, yes, they passed the vote and they're like, ah, we're ready to kill this guy. And that guy took the thing out and he's like, he's like, fine, none of you guys have the balls to do it. It's it's a lot of talk. Mm -hmm. And what is America good at? Talk. Right. But I don't think they are any closer to to pulling the trigger than than the other boat is. Well, again, I I don't know, man. I think that's liberty. 
that we see there, but the spirit is a dictatorial strongman. That's what I think is is the uh, the the two warring ideas. The spirit of of what you're talking about is a strongman point right. of view. I think much of America we've 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 said so far, much of it is is Batman uh, acting as a uh, an analog for the American government. He acts as a strongman the entire time, right? Or the spirit. But the liberty is when you ask the citizenry, "Are you going to do this?" But don't they both come to the same end? The, that's what uh, I was yeah, going to say. They both come is, to the same end. Is there warring? Yeah. But ultimately, both mentalities arrive at the same conclusion, right? Yeah, which is which is that the act is not worth the cost to your humanity. Right. Well, that one you'll either destroy liberty or your spirit. One of the two. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that spirit is unwilling to destroy liberty. Liberty is unwilling to destroy the spirit. Right. So we get Harvey Dent. Exactly. Or Harvey Two Face. <laughs> exactly. And I think that that. So when the Joker realizes that that's the case mm-hmm. and that that he's that he's lost essentially. Well, he's lost that part. Right. Yeah. Uh, I think that that I don't know. It kind of ends what is otherwise a dark movie mm-hmm. on on a high note. Well, sorts. until that second dark note. Dude, I cannot tell you. You know how everybody like recently has been complaining like, oh, if it's not R-rated, it's crap. Mm-hmm. The ending of this movie is dark as hell. Yeah. The fact I that am. Harvey Dent kidnaps Gordon's kids yeah. and is like threatening to kill them for something uh, completely unrelated to any action they've ever taken. Right. And flips a coin to do it. Like, it's totally based on chance. With no feeling. There's, like, no emotion in it, no feeling. It's just, he's an executioner and he doesn't care. I think that's way darker than anything they do in Deadpool. (laughs) Like, oh, that has to be R-rated. Like, no, it doesn't, dude. This shit's dark. Yeah. 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 Um, So, coming back around to Harvey Mm -hmm. and the the decisions made, not so much by Harvey, but the outcome with Harvey. Mm -hmm. Um... So, Harvey argues you can't be a decent man in bad times. Mm-hmm. Like, that's his, like, the, we tried that and it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It, do you think Harvey is arguing on behalf of, maybe not, maybe not the filmmakers, but the behalf of the idea that they seem to be pushing forward? Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think that uh, that Harvey is, is that at that point the voice. That is his, to go back thesis. to my earlier argument, that is his radicalization, right? At the at the beginning of the movie, he's the white knight. He's an mm-hmm. idealist. Uh, he, he locks up, what, 500 criminals all at one time because he believes yeah. in justice. He believes right. that good triumphs over evil. Right. The Joker shows him that that is not always going to be the case and it breaks his spirit completely. But I think breaks that, his spirit. <laughs> that's right. And his liberty. <laughs> uh, but I think ultimately the reason that the moral argument in this movie is so interesting is because Batman's human. Right. And throughout the whole movie, he's constantly having to cope with the same struggle that Harvey copes with. Right. He loses Rachel just as much as Harvey does. Right. And the more the, so really. Right. Yeah. And so the fact that, that those two then come out of that experience and make completely different decisions, I think is the, is the filmmaker saying like, Hey, the Batman is the alternative, right? Mm. Like we can descend into madness, into, into losing our humanity like Harvey does right. and want to take it out on anybody just because we can, right. Or we can be this better thing. Right. And I think the, the more interesting question to ask is if, Bruce Wayne 
was in Harvey's same position. Mm-hmm. Bruce Wayne does not have a mask. Let's say Bruce Wayne's put in his same position. What does Bruce mm-hmm. Wayne do? It's easy to hide away when you're Batman. Well, but Bruce Wayne did that. I mean, Bruce Wayne shut off an entire part of himself in order to be Batman. Like, I mean, Bruce Wayne is a much more of the mask than, than Batman is. I, I agree, but what I'm saying is it's easy for Bruce Wayne, the person... To not be, rich guy. be affected in society. Yeah. Like Harvey Dent can't like come out and be like, hey guys, I'm a super villain now. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like when you're when your face is on display for him, yeah. like it's easy for Batman to say, I'll take the fall for Harvey. Bruce Wayne can't say that. Right. Well, Bruce Wayne doesn't have to say that. But yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. If you put Bruce Wayne in that same position, yeah. does does Bruce Wayne make a different decision? Yeah. Is it easier to make that decision? when you're faceless right and i think that that's an interesting question that you don't really have to answer because it's a fucking superhero movie it doesn't matter (laughs) but 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 i think if we're trying to tie it into this idea of 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 consequences for Mm -hmm. our actions and how easy it is to make decisions when you don't have to see the consequences you don't have to Mm -hmm. feel the consequences i think that there is and and again that that ties back to what you've been talking about with uh that he have just sent some people over to a foreign country right you know bruce gets to go away consequence free he doesn't get to play as batman anymore or as much right you know right he gets to lose the cartilage in his knee and grow a wicked beard yeah 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 yeah. again spoiler alert for another film i would assume you've seen that is like the twist in that movie is when you find out there's no cartilage in his there's no yeah because you think that he's just has low cartilage yeah but then it's revealed that he has no no cartilage that's right by thomas lennon of all people it blew my mind i hear that uh nolan consulted Shyamalan on that yeah yeah no i've heard that too big turn um so the last argument of the film right is again about one man as a figurehead Mm -hmm. harvey dent um, and the decision to lie and hide his actions mm-hmm. and the whole idea of like that the truth isn't good enough for some people and people deserve to have their faith rewarded. Mm-hmm. Thoughts. Cause I think, uh, you know, when you start stacking up all the stuff we've talked about, mm-hmm. you know, the torture, the, the, um, the surveillance state, the failed actions of Harvey Dent and, uh, even Harvey's activity afterwards, Right. Why? Why? Why does that faith deserve to get? To be, why is that rewarded? So, I'm gonna. In order for me to answer this question, I'm going to have to to reach into the Dark Knight Rises because part of this question no, yeah, is it answered. Does. I mean, yeah, it gets uh, answered there in, in many ways. It's the main crux of what happens. Right. There. So Gordon has to deal with the fallout of making this decision because he doesn't have to hide. Exactly. Yeah. And he so to hide his mansion. I think. And Gordon says what we've been talking about here, and it's, it's again, it's an interesting parallel to the Bush administration post 9-11, is when you're the one that has to stick your hand into the mud and fix the mess, and you make a, you make a call, you're stuck between two hard calls, right? Mm-hmm. You can either tell the world that, that Harvey Dent, the person who, who put away the mob, who saved your city, is actually more despicable than any other person in the city, or... You can let some vigilante take the fall that that everybody's already on the fence. You've got two bad decisions, yeah, and you're you're the guy who has to make one of those decisions. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's a tough call, and I think that you see the fallout of it later. But I don't think that he went the other way. the The results would have been any better, and so I think that I think that all you can do is 
is be as moral as you can be. And that's what Gordon tries to do. He tries to do the moral thing. I just, I guess if you're going to lie about Harvey Dent, mm-hmm. we've already, I mean, we're already on that path for the most part. If we're going to lie about Harvey Dent, why does anyone have to take the fall at that point? We already know he was attacked in the Joker situation. I mean, that seems very spinnable and put it back on the crazy guy. I don't know that it is though. I, yeah. I mean, Gordon even says it in the movie. He's like, he's like, how are we going to explain this? There's two cops that are dead. Like, yeah. like how are we going to get out of this? And I, I think that they needed somebody to take the fall who, who the, the city was not attached to. Right. I think they needed a fall guy. Yeah. And they just so happened to have a fall guy who wouldn't have to, there's no consequences for this fall guy yeah. because he's not a person. Right. Yeah. And so I think that that makes the decision easier. I think if it, again, if it would have been, if Bruce Wayne is just like, like out there, you know, like Captain America and he's just got his <laughs> face out there and everybody knows who he is. Yeah. I don't think Gordon makes that same call. Right. I think obviously he lets Harvey deal with his own shit. Mm-hmm. But when you've got a guy who, you know, you don't have to, to take right. any responsibility for. Yeah, fair. It's an easy, it's an easy thing to do. And Batman, I don't know why he went back to being Batman in the next movie. He should have just made up a new character like Catman. Yeah. Yeah. Problem solved. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So yeah, it, it's 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 a big question. I think it's I think it's interesting to see, and I think we're seeing again what we talked about at the beginning: why this movie has legs. Yeah, I don't think it's yeah. just because it's a realistic take on Batman. <laughs> People like the realism. Like the realism's a great part. It's yeah. nice to see a movie that's not full of CG and full mm-hmm. of ridiculousness. Right. And where, see, where there is CG, it's very seamless. Right. Yeah. It's it's real people in real situations. But I think there's there's more underneath this. And I think what we're talking about also shows I think Christian Bale gets a bad rap in this movie mm-hmm. because everybody says, well, like he's he's the main character in the first and the third one, but the Joker's the main character in the second one. Mm-hmm. I think that this whole thing we've been talking about ultimately is the arc of Batman. Yeah. Like we've been talking about the Joker a lot and the Joker did this and the Joker did this. Mm-hmm. But who's the one that has to deal with all that? Right. It's Bruce Wayne. It's right. Batman. And I think in those moments where we do get to see how Bruce Wayne, the man, is affected by this whole thing, mm-hmm. those are some of the most powerful moments in the movie. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When he's going to go and turn himself in. Mm-hmm. And then Harvey, again, lies about being Batman in order to... Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I think that... I think that just to give a little, not that he needs the shout out from me, no, but no. I think to give a, a shout out to Christian Bale, who I feel like right. in this movie absolutely gets overshadowed. Yeah. Oh, uh, in the well, there's com- a, there's a in billion, the conversation. Yeah. Well, and there's a billion great performances in the film. Right. You know, that are just. And I think that that is another reason this movie stands up mm-hmm. is, is Christopher Nolan didn't go out and get your dime store actors. Like no. he got actors to be in this. Like this mm-hmm. isn't, this is an Oscar ensemble. Mm-hmm. That happens to be doing a Batman movie. Yes, absolutely. like if that's I think the the difference between this and and obviously we can compare it to the Marvel movies and obviously all the people in those movies are great actors. Yeah, but going out and getting a guy like Chris Evans is not the same as getting Gary Oldman to be in your movie. Right. Like, yeah. Like there's a there's a, a yeah. fine line in the sand. And Chris Evans, if you hear this. That's nothing against no, you. No, yes, no. Uh, we have mad love for Chris Evans. Yes, but like I think it's a different, a different beast, and I think it says something about the movies and the vision that Christopher Nolan had that those actors wanted to be a part of something like yeah, this. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
So let's go ahead and segue real quick, okay? Because we want to we want to geek out a little bit. Sure, absolutely. Uh, so let's talk about some of the people in this movie. Yes, because we are again talking about some of the the greatest actors of the of the last however many years right. are in these films. Absolutely. Let's let's start with Christian Bale. Brilliant. Obviously, I was lobbying the, for him to be Batman long before he got the job. I, as soon as I saw Newsies, I said, "This is the guy." <laughs> Well, I was a little later than that. Okay. Yeah. I, I knew it. Yeah. No, I after I saw it. him in Equilibrium, I was very uh, I was very sold on him as a potential Batman. So so Luke, if you had to if you had to pick one yeah. Christian Bale performance, not Batman. Not Batman. One Christian Bale performance that's your favorite, what do you pick? Oh man, that is rough. Um like I said, I did like him in Equilibrium, even though that film has a ton of problems. Great Sean Bean death. Well, they're all great in their own way. Um <laughs> You know what though? I I'm gonna go with the Prestige. Okay. I liked him a lot in the Prestige. I really like that movie. Another Nolan. I love the Prestige. The Prestige is my favorite Christopher Nolan movie. Is it? And I know it's great. No, it's great. I love the book. I love the movie. It's great. I know that sounds a little like sacrilege, and I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, I'm feeling really bad for Inception and Interstellar. I mean, Inception's a great movie. Yeah. Uh, I watched Interstellar a few weeks ago again. I Mm -hmm. seen that movie like nine times. Yeah. Balled my eyes out. It's terrible. I love The Prestige, and I think yeah. The Prestige is probably my favorite movie that Christian Bale is in, mm-hmm. but favorite performance, I'm having a little bit of Ooh. a harder time. Actually, I just I just had, I just came to one. Okay. Reign of Fire. <laughs> That's everyone. That and Terminator Salvation yeah. are like neck and neck, I his, think, uh, His performance in Reign of Fire is... Uh, Absolute snub at the Oscars. It's, uh, it's amazing. I'm going to go... I'm thinking of two ways. So I just saw Vice last night. Oh well, oh, and well, that's not fair. I haven't even seen. Vice. I don't think I'm gonna put it. I don't think I'm gonna put it as my number one. Yeah. But what he does in that movie is insane. Yeah. Like, I I absolutely despised him by the end of the movie, and yeah. I love Christian yeah. Bale. I think I'm gonna go. I'm gonna make the lame choice, and I'm gonna go for the movie that he won the Oscar for. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go the Fighter. Oh, okay. Uh, I just think that he. He's so good at transforming. And yeah. I know he just gets fat and then he gets skinny and everybody thinks that's really cool. Right. Yeah, him and Tom Hanks. I yeah. can only go one side. <laughs> right, I can only go uh, one way. So yeah. to me, that's very impressive. Yeah. But I think he just... I don't know. There's something about that character that I haven't seen in any of the other characters I've seen him play. Yeah, uh, where he's this like this this loser character. Uh, and he just plays it so well. So I'm going to be lame and I'm going to agree with the Academy and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the fighter. I'm, I'm going to stick mostly with the prestige it's my favorite movie that with he's a in. nod to rain of fire yeah. because if you ask me what my favorite hugh jackman performance was yeah. i would say the prestige the prestige Absolutely. it's also one of my favorite david bowie performances <laughs> that's true yeah. Yeah. That's one of true. two <laughs> so let's talk about uh so this is like heath ledger's movie right like, right yeah like this is it overshadows night's tale somehow <laughs> it, abs- yeah. it absolutely does yeah, i've seen night's tale a lot yeah uh, let's talk about Heath Ledger because he obviously he's had like a very uh, prestigious career. Yeah. Uh, what do you think is your is your favorite Heath Ledger performance outside of the Joker? Outside of the Joker. And you can say Night's nice Tale if you would like. No, I, I will not. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, man, I don't know because I, I just feel like the Joker is so such an amazing like disappearing act for him. Right. And I think that's kind of the thing that sets it apart because some of my favorite performances of his are like uh, he's got a he's got a smaller part in like Monsters Ball and mm-hmm. he's great in that and he's yeah. uh, 
like obviously Brokeback Mountain is like it's like one of his like breakout mm-hmm. like prestige roles. Yeah, yeah. But in obviously I mean, it's all, no Ten Things I Hate About You, but I love Ten Things I Hate About You. <laughs> uh, but in all of those roles there's like a, a charisma that he has. Yeah. And even in those movies that I named, like he's obviously playing a little bit more like mm-hmm. solemn characters and things like right. that. But I don't think that going into the dark Knight, anybody was expecting what we got from him in the performance. No, no. Everyone was looking for brothers Grimm. <laughs> right. And, and I think it's, I think that's why it's so crazy, especially when you listen yeah. to Christopher Nolan talk about it. He cast Heath Ledger without seeing anything from that character. He, hadn't, yeah. he didn't see that character until first day of shooting. Yeah. And like to to just know instinctively that that guy is going to give you that performance is insane. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. And I think that speaks volumes. Uh, the last person I want to talk about. Sure. As much as I would love to uh, talk about uh, Two-Face. Why am I spacing Aaron, on his Aaron name? Eckhart. Aaron Eckhart. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as great as he was in Aaron Brockovich. Right. I think that I'm going to skip over him. You don't want to talk about Thank You for Smoking? <laughs> I Jason Reitman, man. I love Jason <laughs> uh, Let's talk about Gary Oldman. Uh, yeah, let's always talk about Gary Oldman Gary forever. Oldman is, in my opinion... The best and most frustrating actor in the history of acting. Because he doesn't need your money. He, so he can be in anything he wants. He's like Ben, ben Kingsley. I, They're the same in my book. They like, are they, the same, except Gary Oldman is a 12,000 times better actor than Ben well, Kingsley. Yeah, but they have enough money that it's like but they're not they acting the for money. But they take the same types of dumb ass roles. Yeah, Gary absolutely. Oldman is in the worst movies lately. And some of the best movies. Like every time I see it, like that Hunter Killer movie that was just out with Gerard oh. Butler. Oh God! I didn't if you see that. Gerard Butler is cast in a movie, Gary Oldman, don't do the movie. <laughs> like it's so frustrating because yeah. I th- I think that Gary Oldman is other than Daniel Day Lewis. I think Gary Oldman is the best actor of the last fifty years, hands I would, down. I would say he surpasses Lewis, in my opinion. I I don't agree with that. That's fine. That's but fine. I think it's because Daniel Day Lewis is more selective and picks good projects. See, that's why I disagree. Now, I, I think because Oldman can go in and elevate something that's crappy and be like, well, at least I had Gary Oldman. But why would I want Gary Oldman to be in those terrible movies when he could be in something good? I don't know. Maybe maybe he made some bad real estate deals like Nicolas Cage. I don't know. I don't like, know his history. Oh man, I was so excited when Darkest Hour came out yeah. cuz he is fantastic in that movie. Totally deserved the Oscar. Great performance. But it's been forever since I've seen a performance like I mean some of my favorite I I mean probably he's in the movie for like 5 minutes, but True Romance mm-hmm. is talk about a disappearing act <laughs> playing that white dreadlocked gangster yeah. Drexel. Oh, yeah. oh man, what his voice Ah, he's so good. And he's that guy, the guy from Leon the Professional. Like, mm-hmm. that's the Gary Oldman I love. The guy, even though Keanu Reeves almost ruins this movie, Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Oh, no, that movie's amazing. Is, he is incredible yeah, he's, he's in that movie. in that film. And yeah. it's just like, that is the Gary Oldman that I need in my life. I, see, yeah, I mean, I. you're right. I don't need to see him in... Uh... You know, reboot RoboCop or or any of that. And he's stuff. good in that. He's movie. great in that movie. There's a lot of people who are great in that movie. Um, not RoboCop, weirdly <laughs> enough. Uh, but God, that guy has no personality. No, well, he was a great Robo, not so hot on the cop <laughs> part. 
Um, <laughs> but uh, man, no, I loved uh, I loved the Old Man and uh, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. Absolutely. Oh man, yeah. that I movie would... bored me to death. But oh god, but really? He, I, I just love that. Movie. I couldn't get into the movie itself. But obviously, uh, I'm not taking anything away from yeah, Gary Oldman. No, I think just... you know that was the first time he was nominated for an Academy Award was Tinker Tailor Soldier I... Spy. I, what are, what the hell are those people doing? I have no idea. They're apparently watching Daniel Day Lewis. <laughs> they do that. <laughs> they, they do, do that. that a lot. Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, so no, Gary Oldman. Amazing. Gary Oldman. I love Gary Oldman. I this is a great role for him in this movie. Yeah. Like, uh, he grows. Or, I mean, he grows a lot in it. Too. And the character grows. It's just a, he's got so much pathos in the movie. Yeah. Like I think that that's. He's just a very human character, and I really, really like that. And he freaks out better than anyone ever this freaks is true. out. Yeah, no. Uh, <laughs> uh, last person we'll talk about, sure, because obviously his his name is on the top of the poster, right? Yeah, Christopher Nolan. Oh, I thought you were going to say Michael Caine. I Michael Caine. I was <laughs> Michael Caine. Uh, I would like to talk about Michael Caine. Sure. Uh, but only you, in, we mostly just want to talk about his greatest role in Austin Powers Three, right? That there's no question there's no about it. I think yeah, that that's all else. there is to say about yeah. it. Uh, but no, Christopher Nolan. So obviously, sure. in in our generation, mm-hmm. there's probably not a, a director that claims as much celebrity as Christopher Nolan. I mean, it's I'm, him and Michael Bay. <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> and i'm taking out the old guard the spielbergs yeah. and the scorsese yeah, no, no, no. more modern yeah modern but modern, modern directors yeah. uh i think christopher nolan kind of take when christopher nolan releases a movie like dunkirk made like 500 million dollars mm-hmm. worldwide yeah it, anybody else directs that movie it makes 40 yeah like you know what i mean like, 40 bucks total yeah. <laughs> exactly four yeah. people went yeah, to yeah. see it and they lived in a cheap city. Uh, but no, I think that he is a special director that gets these crazy budgets to make these practical effect, uh, big spectacle blockbusters mm-hmm. that no one else gets to make anymore because when other people make them, they bomb. Yes. And so... Well, unless they're attached to Marvel. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. But that's the problem is Christopher Nolan doesn't have to do that. He can no. release Inception. He can release Interstellar mm-hmm. that aren't brands they're not no. franchises yeah. and they still make interstellar made like 700 million dollars yeah. and inception almost made a billion dollars yeah like no other director can do that even the even steven spielberg can't do that anymore no like he is a a kind of singular figure in in film right i, now. I mean uh, yeah i mean him and tarantino both are kind of up there in the like film nerd Yes. Hierarchy. Tarantino doesn't make the money. I'm not talking about right, money, but I'm talking about in their obsessive love of film. Sure, uh, of films. I agree with yeah. that, and I think two film nerds. I think you could probably put them in the same conversation. Yeah. But I mean, you look at a movie like, uh, like The Hateful Eight. I yeah, don't even no, know if that movie crossed 100 million dollars. No, like, well, and I don't think that was the goal. But no, but uh, like, like yeah. Django Unchained and Inglorious Bastards, I think did pretty well, like yeah. 400 million, 300 million, something like that. Yeah, so. Yeah. I, he's he definitely makes hits. I think mm-hmm. the problem with Ten, Tarantino is is he's that hard R guy, right? Yeah. Like he's niche. Mm-hmm. Not everyone can like get behind right. a Tarantino movie. Christopher Nolan's more of like a yeah. populist filmmaker that kind of has some brainy ideas. And I mm-hmm. think I think we're seeing that more and more in movies is that people are gravitating towards like high concept movies, right? Right. Right. Yeah. Like you see a trailer for like a movie like A Quiet Place this year, right? It's got like this crazy concept, and you're like, oh, that's cool. I want to go see a movie with an interesting concept, mm-hmm. and that movie blows up at the box office. And I yeah. think I think Nolan does the same thing, whether it's. Yeah going into dreams or going to another galaxy or uh, having a twin brother that you don't know about until the end of the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? So let's talk about, I've already kind of spoiled my answer, but, right. but what is your, outside of the Dark Knight trilogy, right. what is your favorite Christopher Nolan film? Uh, 
Well, I've already professed my love for The Prestige. Sure. Love that film. Um, I also really love Inception. Mm-hmm. I really love Inception. Inception on any... I, I mean, if you ask me tomorrow, I might say Inception. Yeah. Uh, I might change my mind. Because yeah. they're different movies. Like, I can't even believe that the same guy made both movies. I can't believe the same guy made Insomnia. But... <laughs> that's true. But that's for totally different reasons. Yeah. Definitely yeah. on the bottom of my list. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's... it's I complete... Inception blows my mind every time. Mm-hmm. I could... Unfortunately, like, I don't know... That's another one you can dig around in for a whole bunch of time. And, 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 and honestly, that movie was kind of ruined for me. I don't know if you if you know about the wedding ring thing. Um, yeah, I think I've heard that. Well, ru- let, let's not get into that. It theory. ruins we, the whole movie. We may want to talk about that theory sure. at some point. Yeah, The wedding ring so theory. Coming next week. <laughs> uh, no, uh, but uh, that ruined the conversation of that movie for yeah. me. But I still love the movie so mm-hmm. i am going to go with the prestige okay i don't know what it is about that movie it's a great movie it's the like book sh- is amazing and, and he does a bunch of like for an adaptation uh-huh. uh he does a bunch of great getting jettisoning crap that doesn't that's fine in a book but it's completely useless in a right. film. and uh yeah it's just a great job of it for a movie that's like 215 220 it's like a mm-hmm. long movie yeah i could watch that movie every oh, day oh yeah it doesn't feel like long. i no. love that like the going back and forth like the competing magic mm-hmm. i don't know if it's like the period piece atmosphere of it or if it's scarlett it, johansson <laughs> that's right yeah. or if it's how stupid you feel when you didn't guess the plot twist at right. the beginning of the movie right. yeah because when you watch that movie again it's like they can't it's, shut up oh, about the yeah. fact that he has a secret brother yeah no like no, in it's... every scene Yep. They're like, man, it really seems like there's two of you. <laughs> it's so weird that your personalities are so different on different days. It's like they're just slapping you in the face mm-hmm. with it the whole time. Yeah. But no, I, I I love that movie. That's probably my favorite movie of his. So, all right, that was a fun trip down. Uh, yeah. Down uh, the Geek Out Road. The Geek Out Road. Yeah. So let's let's get back to it and let's kind of close it out. Sure. Uh, so at the top, we both I said uh, that the Dark Knight being about the war on terror was kind of a no-brainer for me. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think at the end of our conversation, I feel even more strongly about it than I did at the beginning. Right. Uh, yeah. You've made some great points that, contrary to making me feel worse about it, other than the uh, Joker is a PTSD soldier mm-hmm. theory, which I don't buy yeah. into at all. No, that's, that's uh, fair. That one I'm on. I'm, I'm far away from the fence on. But mm-hmm. uh, I think this is a no-brainer for me. I think that... How much of what we talked about was intentional, I don't know. Right. But I think the spirit of making it about that probably led to some of those choices that we were reading into maybe a little bit more than we should have. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, when I came to the idea, I was probably about 25% mm-hmm. uh, when we talked about it initially. I I was like, well, you know, there are some things in there. There are definitely some arguments I've heard. Um, but then sitting down and going through it a little more methodically and thinking about things... Um, and then, you know, just finding little pieces in there. I was like, oh, okay. That brought me up to, you know, 7,500%. So. Right. Yeah, no, I feel really good about it. And I, I think it, it is interesting, and I'm glad we kind of looked at it. And I think it's great that this movie came out the same year that the MCU started. Yeah. Because what a defining year for both DC and Marvel. Right. Marvel took the the baton and ran with it yep. and dc decided that they didn't care about making quality anymore well that's uh, a whole nother <laughs> that's a whole nother conversation but um, uh suicide squad for the root yeah the root. Uh, <laughs> no but uh no i think that i think that i'm i'm fully behind it so i've sold myself and you've sold me yeah and uh so yeah so uh yeah this has been uh, alone at the table uh, podcast on uh, movies and the uh, weird theories or maybe not so weird theories around them. Uh, 
I have been Luke, and this has been Nick. And uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.